It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Bigfoot Field Guide on the radio. Uh, tonight we're being hosted by the MABRC, which is the Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center. My name is D.W. Darkwing Lee, and my co-host is Randy Driver Operator Harrington. I'm going to let Randy take off with it first, and he's got a few things he wants to say first. All right, well, first, it's my pleasure to be here, and I just want to tell everybody that uh, I'm just getting over a head cold and a sore throat, so please bear with me. Uh, I won't be myself tonight. Uh, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to give a little explanation of how Darren and I even came into contact with each other. He and I first met each other over the phone about midway through 2006. He was in the process of compiling Bigfoot sightings and encounter information gathered from across the Internet and the nation. Specifically, he was interested in getting all of Oklahoma's encounters that were spread around several sites into an easy, accessible database. The database that started out as Green Country Bigfoot Research. Little did he know that the mushroom cloud explosion of information would develop into the MABRC forum you see today. I called him at the time to clarify some information on two encounters of mine that he had listed. One involved an audio recording from a sighting and another was about a video that me and another researcher captured in the Kaimichi Mountains in southeast Oklahoma. Once we got this info corrected, we talked for a while, and I was impressed by Darren's sincerity and openness about what he knew about Bigfoot. I had been researching for years, completely on my own, with minimal contact with other researchers at this time. I found that he and I shared many of the same beliefs about this animal. We both had sightings, and we both were determined to be the ones to bring in the proof that this animal existed. As we talked, we both realized that it was the sharing of information and the openness of discussion that would take this search to the next level, and I am grateful that Darren includes me in as being a founder of this organization, even though I only have a fraction of the time put into this as he does. But again, this is a testament to his character. This is his brainchild, but he gladly shares the limelight. And make no mistakes about it, this is Darren's work, and I am just along for the ride. But we do both believe that the big breakthroughs and in information about this animal will come on the, back, the hardworking backs of the independent researchers. So the MABRC has been set up to cater to the independent researchers, full of information, chats, instruction, videos, and now a radio show to help facilitate getting and giving information. That is why this first radio show is about the MABRC forum and all it has to offer. We want to encourage everyone to join us here to help discover and make the recognition of this species a reality. Okay. You, <laughs> okay. And uh, basically, I'm going to talk a little bit about 
Randy, and uh, he's pretty much covered how we met and everything. But one thing about Randy, he's become the heart and soul of the MABRC. His uh, enthusiasm and resourcefulness, not to mention the amount of time he spends in the field, has become one of the leaders of this group. His enthusiasm is infectious. It gets you quick. And being in the field with him is so hard sometimes because trying to keep up with him is trying to keep up with like a mountain goat. Uh, he won't let no obstacles slow him down. Briar patches, he goes right through them, no problem. Uh, sometimes I have to say, whoa, wait a minute, we got to go around this way or whatever. But although he does most of his research alone, Randy is the ultimate team player. When we were down at Hanovi, Oklahoma for the Bigfoot Festival and conference this year, he actually sacrificed having a sighting of his own so that another researcher could have his first close-up encounter with a Bigfoot. And how this transpired, a couple of us seen him coming up behind Randy. We knew he was there. Randy knew he was there. But Randy just looked at us straight-faced and said, I'm not going to turn around because it'll spook him. And he allowed the other member to have the, the sighting. So that pretty much shows... Uh, what kind of person Randy is, he, he actually sacrificed having his own sighting just so somebody else could have their first sighting. Uh, of all the researchers out there in the Bigfoot community, Randy actually stands out as one of the most dedicated researchers I've had the honor of meeting. And being in the field with, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be really out in the field with anybody but Randy. Uh, if anyone deserves to bring in that hard evidence needed to prove Bigfoot exists, I believe it's going to be Randy. Wow. Thank you, Darren. <laughs> well, it took me a couple, it took me a few days to figure out what I was going to say after you told me basically what you was going to say. So, Well, excuse me. i got to wipe away a tear. <laughs> Seriously, though, you know, it, it's important to have the respect and the trust of people in this arena, and that's not always going to be the case because we come into these informal groups with personality quirks and baggage from how we were treated as a child and treated in past relationships, so clashes are going to happen. You can consider yourself lucky if you forge a few solid relationships among people in this field, and I have a few here that I consider my closest friends. Yeah, that's one nice thing about the MABRC. We've actually come together pretty good as a group. Uh, most of the researchers consider each other friends. You can see it in some of the posts that they make to each other on the forums. We do a lot of phone calling. We share each other's research with one another. We... Uh, toss ideas back and forth to each other. So overall, it's a it's a real good group. We've got both what we call analysts, which is to most of the Bigfoot community what they refer to as an armchair squatcher. But we like to call them analysts just for the simple fact that they do a lot of analysis for us on pictures, audio, stuff like that. Uh, we also have researchers that are out in the field all the time. Uh, we just spent quite a few days out around Hanobi during uh, October. Randy spent several weeks out there. So we, we do get out in the field. We do a lot of research. And uh, I think overall we've got a really good group. What do you think, Randy? Yeah, you know, I agree with you. You know, I'm just like all the other researchers and independent researchers and even armchair researchers that we have at the MABRC. You know, we all spent countless hours and hours and even years of our life just searching the net for information and, and reading other people's accounts and, and trying to see where the activity was and, and, and trying to learn on our own. But uh, 
it, it seems like the MABRC is, is giving everybody a, a place that they can stop and feel comfortable. And uh, we do have a lot of people that seem to be opening up with their information there because they see that there's a, a camaraderie there and there's not a whole lot of you know jealousy and guarding of information because we know that sharing that information has to take place so that all the, the, the beginners that come into the field don't have to cover the same ground over and over again, everybody you know can can start off sharing with everybody else's hard-fought information. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I've got a few questions here that we were going to answer. Uh, some of them come from some of the members of our forum, and and of course you've got a couple of questions you'd like to ask me, and I've got some to ask you. So yeah. what I'll do is uh, I think we'll just let you start off with your questions first, and go from there. Okay. My first question to you, Darren, is what, in your opinion, makes a good researcher? And I'm just going to throw out a couple of ideas in there. Do you think it's time in the field, determination, honesty, or any other character trait, or all of the above? Well, I think uh, you pretty much covered quite a few things there that really determines what a good researcher is. Time in the field, we've got some folks that have only spent just a few months out there, but they're eager to learn, and that's the most important thing. If you go out there eager to learn, and you learn the right things, I mean, don't go out there with a group that says, well, you got to do wood knocks, you got to do call blasting, you got to do all this. That's stuff that hasn't worked before, but if you listen to the guys that are having the actual encounters, the ones that are really doing the the face to face stuff with the Bigfoot. Yeah. You're you're gonna learn a lot of stuff. Determination, I mean you got to be determined to be out there in the first place. Uh I've we've got several of our forum members actually joke about, you know, they're crazy because they're out there in the woods looking for a big oversized monkey, you know, so they got to be crazy. Uh, yeah, that's true. Your, your well, determination, you know, you know. And in line with that question, I'd like to segue in. Do you think it's possible to be a good researcher and not spend lots of money on research? Yeah, I think you could actually do that. Uh, one of the things that we do recommend to everybody is to at least have a parabolic listening device and even a cheap uh, night vision scope from Walmart that you can get for about $149. Now, with those two tools, you can pretty much sit at night and watch the surrounding area and listen to what's going on around you. So you're not really spending a lot of money. You know, you might have a couple hundred dollars invested overall, but then you're able to go out there and listen for these creatures as they come up to you. You can try to spot them in the dark. Uh, overall, I, I really don't see money as really an issue. Uh as far as spending it to get more equipment. Yeah, but I'd say time certainly is. Yeah. You know, you, you got to be out there in the woods. You can't just go out there for two or three hours and expect these things to come up to you uh, without, you know, sometimes I'll spend seven or eight hours out there before I even hear anything getting close to me. And I, I know you've had the same thing. Yeah, many, many dry nights. Yeah, they're... The, the way I've always told everybody is 
you can't have something happen to you every time you go out because then it gets suspect. I can probably go out 75, 80 times and maybe have one or two times something happens. So, you know, you got to be out there. you got to spend time out there. Uh, eventually, as you spend more time out there with these other researchers, you'll start picking up little things here and there that will help you in your own research. Hmm. Well, you know, another question I have for you is <clears throat> my my own personal family supports me in this hobby of mine, and, and they allow me all the time off that I need to, to get in the woods or want to be in the woods. But my extended family, that involves my parents, my sister, uh, cousins and such, they think I'm uh, crazy as a bat. Uh, and, and really, they don't have a whole lot of tolerance for the, even the conversation about the things that go on in the research. Uh, and, and I was just wondering, how important do you think it is to have the support of your family? Well, it's really important because uh, as long as you've got your family behind you, you can pretty much get out in the field and not have to worry about what's going on at home. They're taking care of things for you. Uh, I, I'm actually in a good position to where my pretty much my most of my family actually goes out researching with us. Uh, they're actually awesome. the core group here in Stillwell of the MABRC. And they usually go out with me pretty much every weekend. And, of course, uh, most of the members of the MABRC knows our little mascot, uh, Goose. He He's only six years old, but... Even he gets out there with us and goes researching. Well, that's awesome. Uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and throw a quote out there from a popular movie. The movie was Field of Dreams, and it was said in the movie, if you build it, they will come. Do you think that applies to the MABRC? Was the research arena ready for the MABRC, and is the MABRC different from other forums? Well, I think... Overall, the group and the forum itself is a lot different from all the other groups and forums. For one, the MABRC was created pretty much with the sole aim of sharing information between researchers. We, uh, we also do the same thing with the forum. Everybody has a chance to share their information. They can go and ask questions, even if it seems like it's a really dumb question. It's never a dumb question as long as you're trying to learn. We uh, we are constantly trying out new tactics. We post those on the forum. People can read what we're doing. We we pretty much accept anybody into the group after you know we do talk to you and get to know you better before we vote you in. And of course the forum the forum has got so much information on there. We have collected all the information we can find across the internet and put it in one location for everybody to see. So I, I think overall, yeah, I think everybody has been waiting on something like the MABRC has built. So I think... Well, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I agree with you, uh, everything you've said there. And I've got one final question for you. Okay. And, you know, it's interesting that you and I have known each other so long. We've had so many in-depth conversations and some of these things you and I really have not even talked about because, you know, we're, we're busy talking about personal things or the things that we're doing in research. Yeah. And, and, you know, these kind of questions you and I have really never even talked with each other about. But my last question to you is where do you see the forum five years from now? 
Well, in, in five years from now, I would actually see the forum having several thousand people involved in it, possibly even having to move to a bigger server and a pipeline for the, the Internet, because right now it is running on a DSL, so we are running a little bit slow. But overall, I think it's going to keep growing, expanding on the information. People are going to enjoy more and more coming to it and seeing that we don't we don't put things down. A lot of times you go to these other forums and you have people that are basically skeptics and they put down everything about Bigfoot. They don't believe because they've never been out there. They've never seen a Bigfoot. Yes. And uh, what we... What the forum is basically there for is, hey, we believe in Bigfoot. Quite a few of us have seen the evidence. We've seen them in person. The thing is, don't come to the forum if you're a skeptic because we're here to discuss Bigfoot. We're not here to discuss whether it exists or not because, quite frankly, most of us do believe they exist. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I, I too, would like, this, like to see this become the premier forum or website that people go to for information. Right now, there are so many places out there that they can go, and and you get a lot of different, uh, you know, different views of of what each website or forum thinks. Like, you know, some of them may be a little more skeptical, and so you get a different feel for each forum that you go to. I'd like I'd like people to make this their first stop, you know, and then if they can't find what they need, maybe go look somewhere else. But but I'm I'm hoping they understand that this this will be the premier site that can get anything that they need on the subject. And I, I just see a question here on the chat room from Great Pumpkin, one of our uh, members of the MABRC from Kansas. He uh, asked, what do you think would happen to the forum if Bigfoot was truly discovered? Well, I think the forum would still exist if uh, Bigfoot was discovered because we would still be able to post more information about our research. People would be more interested in Hey, you know, Bigfoot has been discovered. So, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. I think I think that people would uh, would come in droves, you know, because now all the people that have been on the fringe of believing or not believing, then then they would have a reason to even be looking for information. I think the only the only type of organization that that would hurt is the type of organization that is is doing paid expeditions, because once once no one the, the the pot of gold at the end of that search is finding one. So once it's found, I don't I don't think those expeditions will be uh, a, a lucrative business from that point on. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I think there's quite a few of us that would like to go back and see all the information that we uh, have accumulated to actually just sit there and uh, see how close we were on some of our theories about the Bigfoot. Yeah, true. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. Uh, sorry I didn't write up any more because uh, you've been quite informative. <laughs> okay. Well, I got a few for you. Uh, one, uh, did you ever think your research would lead to all this, a forum, a website, videos, and now a talk show? You know, I I truly didn't. Uh, but you and I are, are two different men. You dream big. And, and, and your dreams are, are starting to take place here on this forum. I dream small, and, and my goals are very, very tiny. Matter of fact, I can hardly see beyond the next 
excursion in the woods. That I'm so excited about the next time that I'm going to be in the woods. I, I don't see as far in the future as you do, and uh, that that allows me to stay excited about each weekend that's coming up for me. Yeah. Uh, oh, so to tell you the truth, no, I, I I've hardly looked this far into the future. So everything that's happening now is new to me, and and I'm a bit overwhelmed with uh, the the growth rate. But you know, with any kind of growth comes growing pains. So it, it's it's not always easy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, another question for you is: What was the one most important thing that got you started in research? Huh. Wow. Uh, well, you know, of course, when I was younger, you could actually say that you know you get started way back when you're very first interested in it. Even though I was a, a kid and a teenager, reading books. Uh, but as I became a man, what really became most important to me to get started was the realization that I did not need anyone or anything other than myself to get started. There was no time constraints, no schedules to adhere to, just just my own desire, and, and all I had to do was find where they're at in the woods and then go spend time there. I mean, how how easy a hobby to get into when that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, of course, I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway for all of our listeners. What is the one research tool you consider the most important? You could take away every bit of equipment that I've got, and even those high-dollar night vision scopes and everything, just leave me with the parabolic. I'm telling you, that is the mo- that is the least intrusive way to enter these animals' world where they don't know that you're there is by listening to them. And uh, I've actually heard them moving through the woods and, and doing things that as long as they didn't know I was there, I wasn't interrupting their natural behavior. But the moment they got close enough to know that I was there, their behavior changes. So it's hard to get a natural feel of what they're like unless you're just listening to them at a distance. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you can sit there and after after using a parabolic for so long, you you can tell when something's on two feet or four feet. You know, it it's really exciting when you can sit there and listen to them get closer and closer to you. Yeah. So now, do you think that evolving your techniques and tactics are successful? <laughs> you know, even though that's something that we do constantly, we we are constantly changing things around and, and manipulating things in our baiting stations. Unfortunately, they're evolving because they're not successful. If they were successful, we wouldn't need to evolve them. <clears throat> so uh, it's kind of like the camera positions that I'm working with now. We'll spend months with the cameras in one position, go down, check the, check the, the film, and when nothing happens, then we, we change the cameras to, to a a position that we think might be more conducive to them not recognizing them. You know, whether it's hiding the cameras, camouflaging them, or moving them up out of out of what we, until we find out what their range is uh, in an upward motion. Right now I've got my cameras about, I'd say, 16 to 18 feet high, and, and I'm prepared to take them up to 25 feet or higher, you know, as we go through this evolving uh but that's just one – cameras are just one of the many, many things that we try with these animals, and every single one of them is an evolving thing. Yeah, that's true. Just like uh, 
some of the things that we are going to be trying here in the near future, we're actually changing. We're going to be using sensors, motion sensors, and uh, seismic sensors built by one of our members. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we, we got a lot of things in the works here pretty quick that we are changing and evolving our tactics and everything. Uh, I've got yeah. a... I've got a question here from Wildman from the chat room, and uh, he's asking, he's always wondered what driver, operator, and Darkwing mean. (laughs) Can you tell us? (laughs) So I'll let you talk about uh, what driver, operator means, and then I'll let him know what Darkwing's supposed to be. You know, I think I've always wondered what Darkwing, even though I've seen your avatars being that, uh, the the duck. uh, Yeah. But, you know, driver operator is just my position at the fire department. Uh, I'm I'm a driver operator for the city of Leavenworth, uh, 10 years. Uh, and it's just an easy easy handle for me to remember because unless I get promoted, I won't change it. Okay. Well, now I'm going to – there might be quite a few laughs, but when I was younger, uh, I worked on a job where any time that they had a dangerous thing to do, They'd holler for me, and, of course, my initials are DW. So one of my friends at the time, of course, Darkwing Duck just come out, and he was always saying, you know, let's get dangerous. So whenever they called me to do the dangerous job, they would say, hey, it's time for Darkwing to get dangerous. So the name pretty much stuck. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, I put the LH at the end because there's quite a few sites I go to that there's several Darkwings there. So I put that LH there for... Lost Horizons, which is my computer company that I do on the side. So uh, I hope that answers their question about what Darkwing and Driver Operator means. Cool. Well, hey, I see a question from uh, Wash Skookum uh, about the camera placements being too high to be triggered. Uh, And all I got to say about that is the cameras that I have are not the kind of cameras that cost $100 or less. That need that need to have an animal about ten foot from them before they'll trigger. These cameras are high dollar infrared night vision, uh, five hundred dollar cameras that will trigger anywhere from sixty to a hundred feet away, uh, depending on the heat source. It's supposed to pick up heat as well as movement. Uh, and and as you guys see on the forum from the last batch of pictures that I just checked last Sunday, great pictures of coyote and deer and 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 such, and the cameras were about fourteen to 15 feet high and uh, there were some awesome pictures and and some of them were triggered from across the creek which had to have been a good 60-70 feet away so these are some great cameras yeah and if if anybody wants to look at these pictures you can actually go to our forum where Randy's got it posted under his uh, research thread at www.mid-americabigfoot.com and just when you get there, that's our portal page, and just select MABRC forums, and it takes you right to our forum. Now, uh, we actually had some questions that was sent to us before the broadcast that uh, some of our members had asked. One of the things I'm going to bring up first is what exactly does it mean for a Bigfoot researcher to think outside of the box? Now, for a lot of people, they don't really know that our motto is to think outside the box. So, Randy, you want to kind of tell us what your impression is of thinking outside the box? Well, you know, most of the things that I do in my research stems from one encounter that I had at the Chickasaw Park. Uh, 
And it, it was such an amazing encounter, and it, and it encompassed so many different behaviors from this animal that, you know, so I use a lot of the same techniques I use at night. They have not always been successful, and so, so that's why we evolved. But at least that one night, I mean, all the stars were lined up and everything worked just perfect. But, you know, the abandoned vehicle technique, uh, this was my first time setting up a whole campsite with food on the table and everything, but yet I stayed in the truck and just stayed hidden in the truck, didn't move or anything, just sat there motionless for hours and hours, and, and, and the animals came in. Uh, so all the reports you read about abandoned vehicles, you know, uh, people in, in vehicles uh, making out, teenagers making out on dirt roads, having Bigfoots come up to their vehicles. We know they have a, a curiousness about what we do, campsites, vehicles. And, and if you can read into the reports all of the things that interest these animals, whether it's looking in a cabin window at a TV, that's why I take a TV out occasionally and I run a TV, things that you can know that they're interested in or are curious about, We'll take them out, and we'll we'll try to use that as stimuli to to get a reaction from them. Now that is not something that people have uh, normally done over the years. It seems like over the years people basically just go out with some call blasting, which is playing a a, a Bigfoot recording really loud over some loudspeakers. And you know, I was watching a show on orangutans last year, or even a couple of years ago, and the lady said. In order to draw these orangutans in for them to feed them, they would do a recording of an orangutan doing a call. But she said, I've recognized that these animals know the second time you play that recording that it's a repeat. I don't know how she knew that or how she knew that the orangutans knew that, but that was enough for me to know that call blasting is not going to work for me. And, and that's what I try to do. I try to be smart about what I'm listening to, try to be smart about the reports I read, and try to find things in there that's going to work and things, and put, away, put aside the things that aren't going to work. And I think that's what thinking outside the box is to me personally. Yeah, and uh, we, we talk about thinking outside the box a lot on the forum. And the way I look at it is basically like you said, Randy. You know, things that have been tried in the past that haven't proven Bigfoot exists, you know, they've done it for 40, 50 years now, and people continuously go out and call blast. They go out and uh, do tree knocks and stuff like that. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't. But the thing about us as a group, and I think we kind of illustrated this at Hanobi when we went chasing through the woods after the Bigfoot, uh is we don't try the same thing over and over. If it doesn't work, you know, three or four times, shoot, we try something else. Uh, And getting back to the the thing about the Bigfoot chasing them through the woods at Hanobi, I think that has probably impressed a lot of people of the fact that nobody was armed, nobody had a club, nobody had any kind of weapon except for a floodlight with a camcorder mounted on it. And here we go, take off running through the woods after multiple Bigfoot. And I had bear spray. Huh? I had bear spray. Okay, well, we had bear spray. <laughs> Come on now, I'm not a dummy. Okay. But I, I think we probably, if we, we would have looked the next day, we probably would have found a couple of brown stains where maybe a Bigfoot might have crapped his britches, you know, because here yeah. comes a bunch of little yeah. guys coming at him with a spotlight and a camcorder. And I bet you it pretty much shocked the hell out of them that, 
here we was running through the woods after him. You know, and, and after that night, I was thinking, man, you know, I ought to do that more often where I'm just carrying on my business, walking through the woods, checking things out, and then just in the, out of the spur of the moment, just take off at a 90-degree angle and run for about 50 yards because you never know what you might stir up that's creeping up on you. Yeah, because a lot of people have reported that Bigfoot have been following them, you know, down a trail and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, not actually down the trail, but, you know, up in the woods off to the sides of the trail. So that would probably... You know, you never know. You might jump two or three Bigfoot coming up behind you. Right. So, okay, well, let's go on to the next one. Uh, What are the MABRC members and researchers like? Have they all had encounters with Bigfoot? Well, for that question, most of our researchers and analysts, you know, each person is different. Each person likes to try their own different thing. Uh, and not all of them have had encounters. We've, uh, some of our, well, driver operator Randy and myself, we've we've seen Bigfoot. I've seen them on multiple occasions. We've got some members that have seen them. And we've got quite a few members that just really want to be able to see one. Uh, overall, though, uh, maybe that answers the question. You got any input on that? Well, you know, it's just interesting. Just the other day, I heard a report from one of our members named Zero Man. Uh, he he hadn't revealed this up until this time that I read it, and uh, he was fishing many, many years ago and had something creeping up around behind him that they thought was on two legs, uh, kind of circling around them as they fished, and they got out of there and left their fishing rods there on the White River in the northwest Arkansas. Uh, and so, so, so a lot of people have things happen that they might not even be sure is a Bigfoot encounter. But, you know, some of them probably are Bigfoot encounters. They just don't know yet until they learn about them. Uh, so, yeah, you, you got you got you, across the whole gamut of, of types of encounters, whether it's uh, a vocal, vocalization, uh, you know, a sighting. Uh, we've even got a member who got to touch one, and I sure hope he comes forward with his story before too long so that everyone can uh, hear what an awesome story that one was. But, you know, he asked me to, to not not say too much about it, so we'll just let him come forward when he's ready. And uh, there's all kinds of people on our forum that have many different forms of encounters and sightings that can yield all kinds of information about this animal. Oh, yeah, like uh, Bullet Maker, uh, one of our members here in Oklahoma, he's had how many years of... Uh, 18 or 20. Yeah, a lot of years actually experienced with uh, contact with these creatures. And uh, he's got some pretty good pictures on the forum, too. Uh, some of them are just mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and I've been a witness to uh, some of the gifts that, that are left around his place. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, headless, squ- headless squirrels hanging in trees, things like that. Yeah, and, uh, of course, the the times that we've spent up there, you know, we've had the camera get picked up uh, by something in the middle of the field in 17-degree yeah. weather at pitch black night, you know. So, uh, and, of course, uh, we've got uh, Wash Gookum from Washington who actually didn't realize that at the time, but she took a picture as she was leaving her area and caught two of them coming up out of a, ravine or possibly two of them I should say but you know when you look at the picture you just 
you're amazed at what you're looking at. Washkukum makes me mad, though. <laughs> because she she is so detailed in her reports, she makes me look like an amateur. Yeah, she does set the standard for a lot of things. That it's hard to keep up with her. <laughs> no, but but that that's good. I wish I could be more like that, but I'm just I'm just not organized like that. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe one of these days we'll get her down here close to us, and she can handle all of her uh, <laughs> documentation for us. <laughs> Just goes to show you, everybody's got their own strengths. Yep, that's true. Uh, let's see, some of these other questions. What kinds of Bigfoot research is the MABRC currently undertaking? Boy, that's a good question. Well, uh, i tell you what, the kind that I'm most interested in is the more uh, where people have a continued uh, almost a habituation situation. That, that's the kind that I want to you know, spend more time at because you know they're there. Going out into the vast wilderness in the Kaimichi Mountains and trying to make something happen sometimes isn't, you know, it's a lot of work for, for no results. So I would rather concentrate most of my time on a place that they have already established a uh, a group there. Yeah, basically a history of a presence there. Right. Uh, yeah, we've, we've actually got a lot of researchers. Uh, everybody pretty much does their own research, but we kind of contribute to the, the common knowledge base. And, uh, of course, we do have quite a few expeditions coming up here in the next four to six months where we're actually going to get a bunch of researchers together and try different things uh, and go back up into areas that have really haven't been explored before. And see if we can't get some better, better evidence. Uh, and of course, uh, you know we we do have some of our researchers looking into uh, some sighting reports right now too. Uh, some here in Oklahoma, uh, some who've got reports from their areas that they're checking out, and. Uh, Go ahead. Well, you know, and also also to give uh, give the listeners uh, you know some information, you know, I'm not going to reveal too much of it here, but you can you can come to the the forum and and find out all this information. But uh, also the expeditions that we've got coming up is going to give us the opportunity to try out new technological equipment that, in, to my understanding, has not been used in uh, the field research, uh, Bigfoot research area yet. Uh, and very promising. If if it if it does anything close to what it's capable of doing, it's going to be an awesome piece of equipment to to use as part of our research. And we're looking forward to testing that out in February. And of course, we will report all of what what it's capable of at the forum. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that we do that uh, a lot of places don't. We also report our failures on our research. You know, if something don't work, or you know, we go out and sit for two days and don't see nothing, we'll still put that on the forum so people... Yeah, the only thing is, that's, for, for me, when I go when I go somewhere and spend a whole night, I'll usually put it on my report saying, nothing happened last night, and it's, so it's only one sentence long rather than two pages. Yeah, you know, but you could say, well, you know, I did this, this is how I did it, you know, I sat in a chair in the middle of the field or whatever, you know, that way people can say, well, you know, maybe that don't work, let's... Let's try something else. Yeah. So, and uh, 
Now, here's a, a, a really good question, and it actually comes from uh, DDK, one of our moderators. What kind of impact is the MABRC making on the Bigfooting community as a whole? And I think one thing that has really jumped out there is more and more people are coming forward and accepting the think outside the box uh, model that we have and are trying different things. And some of the things yeah. that you and me had brought forward a year ago on other forums has now become accepted practice to a lot of other groups. Yeah, that's 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 kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've actually talked about the research trailers. You know, we, we've got two of them in operation right now. Well, three if you count your your first one. Yeah. And uh, what's funny is we, we've been joking about, well, give it about six more months, and then every group's going to have a research trailer. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I, I think we've had a, a really big impact on the community. Uh, you don't see nobody bad-mouthing us as a group. We recently had a incident where somebody claimed that we were standing behind their photo, and when we presented the evidence and the research and the investigation behind what we did to the photo, even the skeptics were impressed with what we went through to prove that it wasn't a Bigfoot in the picture. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, and quite a few of the skeptics uh, really congratulated the group overall that, hey, you guys really did a good job going through the motions, checking everything from uh, the data of the picture to going through the story, doing the research if there was a fire in that location, like the witness claimed. And although, you know, first glance it did look like a nice picture after you looked at it a little bit closer it you know a lot of details started falling apart on it so yeah well i think one of the other things that we're, we're showing anybody or everybody else is just the fact that we don't mind trying something that's not even known to work i mean we're trying everything yeah and and we come forward and we say okay you know we tried this we we don't care if somebody wants to ridicule us for trying something that doesn't work because you never know it's not going to work until you try it. True. Matter of fact, uh, talking about that, uh, oh shoot, I done lost my train of thought there. I blonded out on us. Was there something new that we're going to be trying that I don't know about? <laughs> I just lost my train of thought there. Uh, but yeah, I think overall, uh, we, we've made a tremendous impact. People are looking at us as an up and coming group. We've actually had uh, several other organizations try to recruit some of our members. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually been tried to be recruited to several organizations, and pretty much to me, MABRC is, is going to be my home, and I, I think a lot of our other researchers feel the same way. Hey, nobody's tried to recruit me. <laughs> I think they probably think that I you're... <laughs> You're pretty much MABRC no matter what. I think they know my demeanor. <laughs> uh, now, I did regain my thought on what I was going to say. Uh, we we have started doing uh, the Bigfoot Field Guide videos on YouTube, just as an example of how much of an impact we've done. About eight months ago when we was putting 
these field guides on uh, YouTube, a lot of the big-time uh, people in Bigfoot research was really putting down YouTube as far as what was being posted there. People was posting comedy clips of supposedly a Bigfoot coming out and grabbing somebody. But when we started posting these Bigfoot field guides, more and more people realized that, hey, this is a credible medium for information to be pushed out. And you know, hey, Darren, just to give you an idea, I don't know why the, the thought processes are like this, but it, it seems to be just so common. Uh, I had somebody comment you know, not too long ago from another forum that any information that you get off MySpace or YouTube is, is bunk. Yeah, And, you know, it's that kind of blanket thinking that doesn't make any kind of sense to me because there's good information anywhere and everywhere you're ready to turn over a rock and look. Uh, you, you can't just say that there's not anything good. on. There are a lot of independent researchers that are affiliated with no one that have spaces on on MySpace, and, and they have good, solid information there. And I go there often and browse their their profiles and see what's new in their research. There's nothing wrong with looking under every stone for information. Yeah. Well, you know, it boils down to you do you do with what you got. You know, some people don't have access to a server to put their own website. They don't have a place to stream video from. So, you know, you got YouTube, which lets you host video for free. And then, of course, MySpace lets you create your own little page. So, you know, I don't see those as being uh, not credible sources for information because, once again, people don't have the money to spend on all this stuff, so they got to use what they can. And, you know, and, and some of those people might be similar to me, incredibly driven, but no people skills. So, so they're better served by themselves, <laughs> taking care of themselves. Okay. Uh, and of course, I think we pretty much touched on uh, what makes the MABRC different from other Bigfoot organizations. So, you got any uh, anything you want to say about that question? No, I think uh, I think we covered it. So, uh, and I'm looking at the board here, and I think uh, either. We put everybody to sleep, or they're just sitting there listening to us. Uh, one of the things that we probably need to cover is how can our listeners get involved with the MABRC? And I, I think the, the main thing is go ahead and join the forum. Uh, you know, you might be a little bit leery about joining us, but get in there, ask questions, talk to the researchers, you know. If you're trying to actually learn, there is no such thing as a stupid question. And all of our researchers are more than willing to sit there and talk to you about things. We've got a chat room on the front page there where you can chat with them in real time. You can uh, actually post pictures for them to look at. We actually, matter of fact, on Christmas Day we're switching over to our new forum, which also have a photo gallery that you can go and look at footprints, uh, cast of all these different casts that have been made. You can look at stuff from the historical files, look at stuff from our expeditions that we've done. I mean, there's just so much on the forum that you can be involved with, 
that you could probably stay on there for a year solid without taking a break and still not cover everything that's on that forum. I mean, you're right. There are so many places in the forum that I have not even visited because I don't have that kind of time. Yeah, I, I'm the guy that pretty much runs the board, and <laughs> there ain't no way. I don't even know where half that stuff is. Uh, Wash Skookum, she's the other admin, and I think she's doing a little bit better job than I am about where everything's at. <coughs> uh, and, of course, we have uh, we have our other mods. We have Sensor Tech. Sasquatch Found, LAL, DDK, and of course yourself. You know, we we try to cover the whole thing, but I think in four months' time we managed to get fifteen thousand posts started on that forum. So, man, yeah, the, the ton of information there is just outstanding for people to to be able to go in and look at. So. Uh, I think uh, I'm looking at the, the chat room. If anybody has a question, feel free to pop it in the chat room there for us. And it looks like everybody... Hey, it looks like, it looks like uh, Grizzly. Grizzly Adams just came on board. Yeah. Yeah, Grizzly was actually with us last year. Well, this year, I should say. Uh, back in February when the, whatever it was picked up the camera. And, of course, a little bit later that night, of course, I got out of the vehicle. My wife was with us, and as we got out of the vehicle, he said that he heard something huge come running by his vehicle and down across the creek, and I think you heard that too. Yeah, because it actually came between his vehicle and my vehicle. Yeah, and that was just probably 30 minutes after I seen what I I swear was a Bigfoot in 4x4 mode going between the vehicles. That's why when she said she had to go to the little girl's room, I was like, you got to be crazy after I seen that. (laughs) So, but but Grizzly, he's one of those researchers that he likes to get out there every chance he gets. And, uh, you know, he's a great person to have with you when you go out researching. Well, he's uh, he's close to retirement, too, so watch out once he gets into his retirement age because I think he'll be out there quite often. Yeah, we'll just have to keep him out there. <laughs> so, and, of course, we've uh, we've got Ape Bait. He's one of our researchers from Georgia. Him and his brother, they, they got some really, uh, I guess, hectic experiences out there, if you could, for lack of a better word. They've had rocks thrown at them, something brushing up against the vehicle. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I could get into a lot of the <coughs> behaviors that we've uh, encountered in, in the, the sightings and things that we've had and the research that we've done. Uh, not necessarily want to get into all that tonight because I'd like to save that for another episode, uh, you know, and, and be yeah. able to reveal all that we know, you know, that we've observed with these animals on a whole different episode. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely going to get into a lot of different things. Uh, our next episode will be basically us talking about old school versus new school, and uh, you know, it it might be a one of those uh, shows that are a little bit oh, what do you want? How do you say that? Technical. 
Well, on the on the edge. <laughs> uh, we we might be getting close to the edge of being politically incorrect on some of the things we will talk about. Oh yeah. So. Who cares? <laughs> it's not like we haven't been that way before, huh? That's right. So, well, it looks like uh, we're coming up to the first hour being over with. And since we don't seem to have any more questions, Randy, you got anything you want to talk about? No, I mean, I'm all for calling it at the hour. And, you know, an hour-long show is just as good as a, a two-hour show as long as the it's got all the information you need. Oh, yeah, I, I think we've covered quite a bit. Uh, once again, we... Mm-hmm. I can hear them. Okay, did we have somebody come on? Hello, Darren. Yeah, who's this? This is 8-Bait. Oh, okay. I guess my... Uh, cool. I guess my screen is <laughs> messed up here. So, uh, how's things going in your part of the world? Oh, a little slow here lately. Yeah, I, I heard... I read your uh, latest post about how slow it's been. Yeah, um, I don't know if uh, I've lost the pattern or what. In fact... Uh, I think the uh, chat room must be messed up. I typed in the question like three times, and it never did go through. So it may be the trouble we're having. Yeah, I think uh, so. We we may have yeah. to revert back to, well, apparently. Uh, People have to come in and ask it verbally. Yeah. Well, that's even better. Get to talk to you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, we are having a problem because it just booted me out of the, the software. So mm. give it a second to load back up here. Lay it on us, 8-Bait. Well, I've got a question. Uh, in fact, can, uh, being slow lately, you know, it's turned cold, um, do you think that summertime and wintertime patterns vary greatly? Like, have you noticed anything different between summer and wintertime movements and feeding and habits? Mm, yeah, actually, uh, one thing I've noticed is some of the areas that they inhabit during the summer and spring when there's a lot of leaf cover, they tend to avoid and go back further up to where they can't be seen that easy. Yeah. And uh, they'll also go and uh, head for better food sources. Actually, in one of my areas, they actually head up towards... uh, a game preserve where there's quite a big herd of uh, deer and elk and of course nearby a pretty good river with a lot of trout and stuff in it so yeah I I think you do see lots of trends between uh, summer and uh, winter the uh, habitat I'm researching it's um in a wildlife management area, so it's a 2,500-foot mountain. We call those mountains here. (laughs) But uh, anywhere from a valley, like 600 feet elevation on up to 2,500, and it's mostly hardwood forest and uh, gullies and cliffs that roll. You know, it's like the land is just wrinkled, and uh, some of them are straight down you know, like 300 feet, 
it seems like. And so, you know, one could be just over the next little rise, you know, you'd never know each other were there. But it's uh, so rugged. Wow. That sounds awesome. And plenty of deer and wild turkey and water sources and down in the valley, a lot of livestock. Well, yeah, I can't say that I've uh, experienced. You guys work completely different areas than I do. You know, my my two primary areas are Chickasaw Park and, of course, uh, Bullet Maker's Place. Uh, I haven't noticed, you know, any kind of difference in the activity from wintertime to summer. But then again, I try to do most of mine in the fall and winter. I, I've I've only gone out once or twice in the in the heat of the summer. Uh, just because it's so miserable and and not conducive to good research, because it's just so hot and so many bugs that you hear, so so really, I I I can't give a fair assessment to the difference between summertime research and wintertime research because I just don't do that much summertime research. Yeah, I, here this past summer we avoided it a lot because the heat wave was just incredible. It would be in the 90s after midnight. And mm. Puts everybody in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> well, that's actually, you know, our best times have been in the cooler weather, you know, getting out and camping and building fires and such. Yeah. Well, guys, it looks like we probably lost the the show. Uh, <laughs> Hello? Are you, are you there? Yeah, yeah, this is Wild Man. Hey, Wild Man, how's hey. it going? Tim, I'm I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? Oh, pretty good. good. Good, good. I've been enjoying the show so far. I I have a question for you guys, if you if you wouldn't mind. Oh, okay. <clears throat> My question is, um, what kind of approach do you guys suggest? Uh, like a hard approach or a soft approach? And I'm sure you guys know what I mean, but maybe for the listeners, hard approach. You know, going right out there looking for a bigfoot, covering a lot of ground, um, or a soft approach where maybe. Uh, like you said, you're setting up a camp. You're you're setting up a table. It looks like you're camping. You kind of look like you're minding your own business. Uh, what, what have you guys found that would seem to work the best? Well, I think you want to go ahead and give that a shot. <laughs> I really think it just depends on uh, where you're at, and a lot of times you just got to rely on your instinct. Uh, now, the time that we was up at Hanobi and we went into the woods. We basically lured them in by just sitting there talking to each other and playing some music in the background to give them mm-hmm. some noise to come up to us close. And of course, we yeah. all we all was sitting there facing each other, so we wasn't looking out into the woods. But what we was doing is we was looking past each other, behind each other to make sure nothing come up. Mm-hmm. And it seemed that that was quite a successful way to do it. But you know, mm-hmm. will that work somewhere else? No. Uh, We'll jump them up and running after them. Will that work somewhere else? No, probably not. But well, I tell you what, Tim. The only reason that I shy away from the hard approach, and that's just me, is because of the demeanor of the animal. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. Want, I don't want one coming up agitated or angry. I, I don't want. I tell you what. That encounter I had at Chickasaw Park. 
almost traumatized me. I mean, seriously, this is amazing. So people talk about the the fear, uh, your knees will buckle and you'll feel sick inside because they're thinking it's ultrasound. It's not ultrasound. It's the natural way you're going to respond to an animal that size. That's just the way it is. So I don't want one to come up, uh, you know, thinking I'm an in-heat female or thinking I've yelled, hey, there's something to eat up here. I don't want to call last one. I don't want one to come up angry. I want them to come up because they're curious. A totally different mindset in the animal if they come up curious as opposed to coming up mad. Right. Yeah, and if I could chime in, my my only experience that I've ever had with uh, with Bigfoot was when I wasn't looking for them, when I was minding my own business, doing uh, doing my job out in the woods, and um, that, those were my first experiences. But I was in no way trying to get them. I wasn't doing anything with any kind of special equipment or tactics or anything like that. I was just being kind of... Um, kind of aimless just walking around cool well thank you guys well no thank problem. you Tim. Uh, you, you got any more Bye-bye. questions or anything myself yeah <laughs> we got um, we got a little bit of time to fill because apparently i've been kicked out of the uh software and i can't stop the show so we're on for two hours <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so call okay. your friends and neighbors <laughs> right <laughs> um, any uh, any advice for the uh, Wisconsin expedition that uh, MABRC is planning for um, uh, spring of uh, 2008? Uh, I would say take some uh, honeysuckle spray, spray down eager beaver real good, and sit him right <laughs> through the woods. <laughs> so, may, maybe you'll get a couple of Bigfoot coming up behind him after that. Uh-huh. So. But he won't. But he won't be able to see him. No. <laughs> so, but yeah, I know. Uh, honestly, though, I think if you guys go out there, just make sure you document everything. Play it cool. Don't panic if you hear vocalizations. You know, stay cool. Uh, as long as and you I'm don't. And so, I'm telling you, the hardest thing that's gonna, the hardest thing to do is. If you see a movement out of your peripheral vision or a sound, the hardest thing to do is to not look. If you, I'm telling you, a lot of times that is the beginning of the end. If you look in their direction, try to ignore it and allow them to get even closer. I mean, they will come. They will keep getting closer and closer and throwing things. Just try not to look directly in in where you think they're at. I mean, you gotta you've got to learn to shut it off and ignore them. Yeah, and I, right. I, I made that mistake up at bullets uh back in may me and randy was standing there putting out the fruit for one of our base stations and i just happened to look at randy and out of the corner of my eye behind him i seen a brown movement behind one of the trees probably i don't know 75 150 feet away from us down by the creek yeah down by the creek and randy seen the expression on my face and he goes what don't look and I'd already looked. It was just instant. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, like I told him, you know, it might have been a deer. I don't know really what it was, but I seen a brown, kind of a light tannish color movement down there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like Randy said, you know, yeah, you're going to have that instinct to look, you know, but try mm-hmm. to fight it. Same thing about using uh, flashlights and floodlights. The minute you use a light... The show's over. I mean, they will right. disappear and not come around. Mm-hmm. 
So, anything else, Randy? Mm, nope. Can't wait to hear what happens with them. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, I have another question, if you guys don't mind. Um, since I've never had a visual sighting of my own, um, one thing I've always wondered about was was how I would um, how I would take seeing such a large animal or maybe having an encounter with one. Uh, for you, those of you who have, what was your feeling, and were you able to regain yourself? Were you able to have composure and uh, you know do what you needed to do to try to uh, maybe collect further evidence, or were you were you put in shock? And I'm I'm assuming everyone's different and everyone's going to react different. But uh, I'm just kind of wondering how I might myself. So maybe you could tell me how you have. Well, when uh, when I seen my first one, I was actually I seen it through a night scope, probably uh, 50 feet away. And what it did is it had raised up over the side of a creek bed and looked right at me, lowered itself back down, moved over a couple of feet, and come back up and looked at me again. Ooh. And uh, when I seen it. I was I was in a state of disbelief. I was like, no, I didn't see what I just saw. Mm-hmm. And after a couple minutes uh, of calming down, you know, I realized, okay, I just seen a Bigfoot come up over that creek bank. So I went and got closer, and we started scanning the, the creek bed itself. I mean, I was able to regain my composure. Mm-hmm. If I would have been a little bit closer, uh, I probably would have needed to go do my laundry. I'll be honest with you about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't really do justice with words, the the feeling, you know, of of my encounter, and and it's still every time I talk about it, I, I don't, I've talked about it a hundred times, but it still it still evokes the same emotion. That just it it was so shocking to me, it's just absolute total fear. If if I was not inside my truck, I don't. I think I would have had a heart attack. I really do. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's that scary to be in that close proximity to something that size that is that smart and mm-hmm. has the potential to rip your arms off and kill you with your own arms. Right. And and we could talk about No Mercy sighting down there at Hanobi when when he seen what he's seen. Oh yeah, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. Yeah, he was sweating. He was on the verge of crying. I mean, well, no, nothing bad against him about crying. I mean, you know, he was crying sure. because he was excited, mm-hmm. and he didn't shut up for three days afterwards about his sighting. You know, he was that excited about it. Well, yeah, when I had my encounters in, in West Virginia, I, like I said, I never had a visual, but something about it was was different from any other type of sound or any other kind of wildlife interaction I've ever had that was completely different, and I. And I marked it down as being completely different, something that was odd, something that wasn't normal. And it wasn't until, you know, I found out about Bigfoot later that I was able to connect those dots. But just the experiences I had hearing them uh, shadowing me a little bit, um, uh, I spooked one up uh, as it was trying to get close, and it bolted through the woods at, you know, 100 miles an hour, breaking branches and stuff. And I didn't know what it was because I couldn't see it, but it sure it sure put me in a in a fear, you know. Well, I can tell you this, Tim. I- I'm I'm a trained firefighter, and while other people are running out of the fire, I'm running in. I mean, you, you would think that that would take some kind of change, physiological change to your insides to where you just don't let those kind of exciting adrenaline-type things 
affect you the way that Bigfoot affected me that night. But I'm telling you, if it would have came up to the side of my truck and looked in the window, I would not have seen it because I had my eyes closed. Oh yeah. I did. I did not look in again in the mirror again until I knew until the back of my truck dropped and, and I knew that they were behind the truck because if, <laughs> if, if I thought they were coming up the side of the truck and I was I was so hunkered down with my eyes closed I just did not want them to know I was there. I mean it it's pitiful that that I could have sure. missed out on the best sighting that ever happened because I was so afraid. Mm-hmm. Well now I I gotta cut in on this and relate this. Uh, of course, Randy knows about when uh, I seen what I refer to as the eight parade up there at Bullets, going across the field. Uh, mm-hmm. When when I seen that, I had actually heard two, possibly three, walk up behind the blazer, and one mm-hmm. even reaching over and tapping the uh, bionic ear with his fingernail, which was up on top of the, the bionic. Yeah, <laughs> and wow. uh, I'm sitting in the vehicle. And I've got a pistol in one hand and a camcorder in the other. And I'm totally freaking out because I don't know which one to use. I mean, I'm not pro <laughs> ki- I'm not pro kill, but it's like, you know, there's an awful lot of Bigfoot running around my vehicle right now. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, Randy can pretty much vouch for it. The next morning, I come up there and got him and said, hey, man, you got to go down there with me and check this out because I'm not sure really what I've seen. But if it's what I think it was, I seen, you know, it, it shook me up. And, you know, we, we we could talk about this a hundred different ways till Sunday. But the fact of the matter is you're going to react how your body dictates you're going to react when it happens. You, no matter how much you think about it, your body's going to take over. And if you think you need to be in the fetal position lying down sucking your thumb, well, that's what you're going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but But one thing that you've got to remember more than anything is, do not run. And and you mean that defensive purposes or, or, or what do you mean that by? Well, the, the thing well, is. Well, you know, there's, there's lots of reports out there with people that get scared and run. These mm-hmm. things have a, ten, they have a tendency to trail you. That will only mm-hmm. scare you more. But but they said they would run until they're exhausted and then stop because they couldn't run anymore, and the animal would stop. But it still trails them. So I right. haven't seen any indi- indication that running is any more dangerous than anything else. Mm-hmm. Good evening, but, gentlemen. How are you? All pretty good. Steph. Who we got here? Steph? This is Dragon. Dragon? Dragon. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Hello. I just wanted to say a little bit on, on the running and being scared. I was too scared. I couldn't run, and whatever was in the bush was definitely making it well known. I wasn't invited there um, just by the smashing of the trees in the bush and, and the odd sound. And let me tell you, if you can run, you're my hero because I couldn't run, not even a little bit. So you know exactly what I'm saying. I Yeah, I managed to sort of pull myself away and walk about 100 feet down the road and sort of duck into the bush hoping whatever it was was going to leave. And it didn't. <laughs> Were you alone? I was alone, yeah. I was taking some pictures um, in the mountain there of some some markings and um, some crosses and such. And a couple of deer went flying by me. It was raining that day, so there was no wind. And uh, I thought it was quite odd because they looked at me and kept going and were not even startled at the fact that I was standing in their their bedroom, right? And when I came out to the road, this is when 
across the road, something had kicked the dirt and went down the embankment and started off this bellering roar scream. It, it was just, I've never heard anything like it. I, I've been hunting all my life since a little girl, and I've never heard anything like it. And it scared me to the point where I knew I had to get out of there, but I couldn't. Odd, odd thing. Hmm. But I think it was a fear wow. factor more than anything. And it was, so you know, <clears throat> so Dragon, what do you think about when people talk about the uh, the the ultrasound that they think this animal emits that causes a fear uh, or a sickness? I'm telling you. It was purely on my end. It wasn't something that was coming through the air because I was inside the truck that was closed up. It has to do with your reaction to that type of alpha predator. That that that's a natural reaction. I mean, it's fight or flight, and I I didn't fight or flight. I I, I folded like a flower. Absolutely, I think that's what Mother Nature instills all of us, even though we're domesticated beyond any animal of any realm, we still have that natural fear factor, and that's what takes over, and you can't, you can't go by that. You get scared, right. you freeze, or some people do faint or panic, right? Right. And for me, it was like I knew I had to get out of there, but I couldn't. <laughs> so I hope you have an encounter, Tim, because I can't wait to hear how you respond to it. <laughs> well, yeah, me... well, all I know is uh, fear drives more fear. So if you can kind of try to uh, regain yourself and kind of quench the fear and just kind of uh, approach it uh, calmly, maybe maybe I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> True. Sure. True. Uh, I've got a few questions from the chat room. Apparently, we're we're back online with the chat room now. Uh, we got Great Pumpkin asking, "Do you feel IR flash game cams are a good research investment?" And I'm gonna let Randy answer that because he's the one that has spent so much money on them. I have spent at least twenty five hundred dollars on cameras, and I've had two of them destroyed. One one of them gone, one destroyed. Uh, I can't say that they are worth it, only because I haven't gotten a good picture yet. Uh, only if I ever get a good picture will I be able to give you an honest answer that says they're worth it. They may see them. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm banking on the height of the camera being that separation point between why most game cams don't work and why these might work if I get them high enough in the trees that it's outside of their realm of you know, of noticing them, and until we, you know, keep experimenting with camera placement, I just can't, I can't tell you they're worth it or not. So, mm-hmm. uh, he also asked, do you think IR, oh, okay, that's the same question, my fault, uh, and Squatch Inc. wants to know, oh, shoot, here we go, uh, at what point should you decide to snap a pic or shoot video of a Bigfoot? And honestly, my question or my answer to that is the minute you see it, start taking pictures because you may not get a second chance to take pictures or video. Right. Uh, I always joke with my wife when we go out, if I see a Bigfoot go across the road in front of me, I'm stopping the vehicle, jumping out with the camcorder and running after it. And the main thing is all I care about is if she goes and 
finds stops the car from rolling. <laughs> if she just finds a camcorder, you know, I don't know what will end up with me if I chase after the Bigfoot. But if she finds a camcorder, at least something's going to be good on there. Yeah. Well, we 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 know enough from all the reports that we've read that they you know even chasing them sends them deeper into the woods. They're not you know I I don't think there's the fear of having them attack you is is pretty unfounded at this point for whatever reason. I think uh, more than anything, they use intimidation just to get you out of the area. And I don't think they've ever really attacked anybody. Of course, we don't know. We ain't never had anybody come forward and talk about it. But they they use that intimidation factor to get you out of their area. And I think Dragon was actually talking about pretty much the same thing. You know, they were trying to intimidate her into leaving. Uh, exactly. That's kind of what the message I was getting loud and clear. I think if they really wanted to get me, they would have got me. They wouldn't have announced themselves. They would have come up on and taken you like they do, like deer or elk. They <clears> certainly <throat> wouldn't announce themselves there before they're trying to take an animal down. And yeah. And everyone <laughs> says that. Everyone says if it could have, you know, if it wanted to get me, it could have got me. Yeah. And it, that, that's <laughs> never the case. So we have to go by the face value. They're yeah. not getting you. Because they don't want to get you. Exactly. I don't think they are out to attack people uh, willingly. I think it's sort of an accident, and that's probably going to happen once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable that you're going to run into one. Uh, One thing that I have had a chance to encounter is one that was pretty much felt that it was cornered. And, of course, it started throwing rocks at us and sticks. And uh, No Mercy almost got his head took off by one. Uh, You know, it's funny. A lot of people say that, that how close they actually get stuff thrown at them, yet very seldom you hear an actual contact. So do you think it's deliberately trying to scare you out of there rather than take you down? Yeah, I think it goes back to that intimidation factor. Yeah. Uh, they don't really want to hurt you because when you think about it, if they do hurt you, they get a here's going to yeah, here, here's <laughs> gonna be a whole lot of people coming into the woods with guns looking for them, you know. Yeah. Well, so. they may not even know what to do with you if they brought you down. The thing is, you may not taste good. They don't know you're a foreign food to them other than one that walks like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I can't believe that they are not good aims. With with what they throw. Exactly. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I would think that they probably would pop a deer upside the head and take a deer down with a, yeah. with a good rock placement. Yeah, I like I said, I think the rock throwing is an intentional scare tactic more than than wanting to harm you. And of course, you also got to think too that you know, young Bigfoot, there's not much to do out in the woods to keep occupied. You know? <laughs> so a lot of them probably just sit there and throw rocks all day, just get real good, you know. And well, you know, I've got evidence of that from from bullets played. <laughs> you, I mean, you can laugh. One time I had my research trailer down in the creek bottoms with my parabolic pointed down a creek so that all the sound that would happen in the creek would funnel down through the creek into my trailer. Mm-hmm. And I heard so much activity in that creek bottom of rocks being thrown around, just thrown back and forth, rocks being tossed all over the place. And I, I, I didn't think much about it after that night until a year later, which was this past summer. I was there with my daughter, and something tossed rocks at our little research trailer by stand number seven for several hours. 
and the next day I told her, I said, you know, I said, what would be, what, what has the time to throw rocks for that long? I mean, they've got to go get something to eat. I mean, they've got to have a pattern where they, they chase their mates, they go get something to eat, and then they find a place to bed down. Who's got hours to spend throwing rocks? And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking young ones. Yeah, like a young kid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had an incident um, at, at a one of my, my research areas here um, this summer where in the middle of the night the rocks in the creek were actually being moved and rolled. We couldn't see anything, but uh, we found in the next day that there was lots of crayfish in there, so we figured they were moving the rocks and stuff to, to gather the crayfish under them. Yep. And and that could be accountable for some of the noise. Yeah. But you know, also with with the rock throwing, one on our last outing there, me and Darren discovered. I went back into an area where my trailer had been hit with rocks, and so I kind of started searching the area, and we found where these granite boulders were just under the soil with with the surface showing, and something had taken a fist-sized rock and busted it up on top of it. It had smacked it down and broke it into about twelve, fifteen pieces. And you could tell, and you put them, you could put them back together like a puzzle. So something busted a rock so that it could throw the little pieces. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, we actually took pictures of uh, Randy sitting there trying to put them back together. Uh, but yeah, it was it was just when we seen it, it was like what could actually just take the time to bust up a rock and throw these rocks at them like that. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, it's things like this that you just, over time, mm-hmm. you just start to put together a pattern of, of their behaviors, and, and it's pretty consistent. And, you know, that's that's a good thing to share that, because even those little things, when I'm out snooping around in the woods and I take my time, I, I like to go out quiet so that I can hear what's around me rather than going storming through the bush, scaring everything yeah. away. Sometimes it's not a good thing because you want, don't want to sneak up on anything, but I usually stay in areas that I can, I've got a good vocal point sort of around me, so yeah. or a focus point that I can see around me that I won't sneak up on a bear or a cat or something. But uh, those kind of things, sometimes you'll notice out of the, the abnormalities, like why is that sitting there? And that's a good point. You know, I've never checked for little pieces of rock that look like they've been currently broke off for no reason in the middle of the woods. You know? so stuff yeah. like that is that's interesting. And one thing that I flat just gave up on is trying to sneak into their area. Yeah, you can't. I I go out, I pick mushrooms, and um, so in a sense, I don't keep my head down so much, but my ears highly tuned, and I pretend I'm looking around for mushrooms, even if they're not in season. Yeah. And that's where they think I'm totally doing something else. Yeah, we actually actually was, uh, when we was up there and found the rocks, the day that we actually showed up and went down in there, we heard, you know, in Oklahoma, they usually post a sentinel to keep an eye out for people coming into their area. And we heard the first one go off, and it sounded like an owl. But about a half mile away, another one answered back. And this is during daytime, broad daylight. And then probably, what, a mile away? Yeah, we heard a third one. Yeah, I heard a third one. And it was just, it was just like uh, smoke signals, you could say. Mm-hmm. They were communicating that, hey, we got these little white guys, you know, on two legs coming in here. Yeah, they're. I think they're more highly organized than a lot of people think. You know, they think they're going to be going out finding the Bigfoot when actually I think they're more of a family type animal. 
clan type. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to get into little uh, other episodes where I'm going to get into some more of the details. I mean, you know, not only they're, they're disciplined young, but the the sentinel, the things that have happened there at Bullet's place that tell us that they post sentinels, and uh, it, it's pretty amazing. I have to agree with that. I one area that I did did walk into the very first time, um, finding a footprint and seeing something at the same time, and then noticing something across a valley, which up on on a, a cliff, which is quite a ways away. But I still noticed it with my eye because there was a, a movement, that, and uh, I believe, and this was a daytime sighting too. So I believe you're right that they do have sentinels, whether it's the father looking over young that just moved out of the roost or you know they're his younger family's down somewhere or at a hunting party you know but i think you're right about the sentinel thing yeah i mean cool. it only makes sense because well for instance uh wash skookum has had an experience where possibly a sentinel has broke a tree over the path that she just took you know almost like uh is telling her, hey, you know, you're in a area that you're not welcome. Don't be coming back down this way. Yeah, well, if they've got young in there and the young are, say, sleeping <coughs> through the day and maybe some of them hunt through the night so they sleep through the day, these guys got to watch out for them. Somebody has to, yeah. right? Yeah, and, you know, and it doesn't take a, a, a stretch of the imagination that, uh, that, that these animals, for some reason, have never been captured. Never been a dead one. Never. I mean, there, there has to be logical reasons. They're either demons, or they're, they have sentinels. They're smart. They, they can hear better than us. They can see better than us. They have night vision, and and that of course makes more sense than anything paranormal. Yeah, absolutely. I agree on that too. They're highly organized, and uh, when you live out in the woods by yourself for any length of time. You'll notice too how much keener your ears get, how much more attention you you pay, say pay to the, to like your surroundings that you notice today. That brush only has three limbs on it. Yesterday I had five, so you know that something was there, right? A lot of people don't pay attention to that, but if you're an animal in the woods, you probably would. But, um, they they have a lot more insight than people give them. Absolutely. That- that's I'm sorry. That's something that I, I thought about too uh, concerning trail cams. Um, it's camouflaged and as small as trail cams are, and even even their location. Um, you think if you if you put something in, if we if we took something from the forest and we put it in our house, and and say someone took a, a limb from a tree and put it in your living room, second you walk in, you're going to notice it. Even if it's right. camouflaged, you're going to notice it because it, it doesn't have straight angles and, and, and right angles like man-made things. It's it's a, it, it's it's unnatural. So right. you place a, a, a square camera out in the woods, and um, you know they they could probably see it very easily. And you know it it, it doesn't even take us you know like I said a stretch of the imagination to even figure that out because the two good pictures we've gotten from Bullet's place were the backside of a Bigfoot on accident where they'd come around the camera or come around the tree and the camera caught them from the backside. We are not getting any from the front side. That means they are capable of seeing them. No matter where they're at, they will see them when they approach. That's why they avoid them. So the good pictures we've gotten have caught them from behind. Yeah, and that also uh, brings up an interesting thing that you and me talked about here a while back, 
Randy, about uh, it's like they they know what the cameras are for because every so often you'll get a picture of a stick in front of the camera or some grass or something like that. And I've actually seen it on the uh, the DVR system where something is sitting there waving grass and or a stick in front of the camera. Right, but you know, I got my own take on that, and you know, that, and I think throwing rocks is one of their absolute natural behaviors to test anything, it, whether it's my truck or my research trailer or a tent. I've had rocks thrown at all of them. I think that they just throw rocks at anything that's that's they're suspect of, and fortunately for them, they'll throw rocks at a camera and they'll get it to flash, and that gives them something else to look at. They're saying, okay. I've thrown rock at it, and, and he, when I throw rocks on this side of it, I get it to flash. And, you know, when they get a camera to flash, it takes a minute or two for the camera to rearm. So a lot of times they may throw something, flash the camera, and then go take the baits because the cameras are not flashing for a couple of minutes after that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got a couple of things here from the, the chat room that we need to bring up. Uh, Squatch Inc., has said that he believes they have so little contact with humans that they don't know what to expect from us if they decided to attack. And I, I'm kind of, I think that they know that a lot of humans, when we go out hunting deer, and you know, they watch hunters out there. They they know that we're shooting deer, the deer are dying, and then they see us carve them up. So I, I think they kind of got an idea of what to expect if they they did attack us. I think if they really wanted to, I'm pretty sure they would have gone out. Um, yeah. Even with, you know, um, with the First Nations, and that's what we call our Native people up here, our First Nations people, um, how many of them have actually been around and seen and out of more fear than not have taken, you know, Bigfoot lives, according to some of the folklore, right? Yeah. Rather the other way around. So... Uh, we also have uh, Dead Man from Kansas says uh, most early reports, 1500 to 1940, state these ca- animals are dangerous, some even cannibals. Why do you think they're so docile? Well, I think that's one reason why they're still not found because they haven't come out and attacked people and did any damage to really cause anybody to have to come in there with guns and shoot at them. Well, you know, in today's age of technology and computers and, and information, we have so much more information than, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You know, with the, with the native peoples back then, when, when they saw something in the woods that they didn't recognize or the, the way that these animals could slip their detection, uh, slip away unheard, unseen, it was easy for them to, to jump into the paranormal realm with them. Uh, you know, so so that's why I think that they – you know, went to the boogeyman side, and and they're paranormal, and they're tele, tele, tele telepathic, and all these things, because you know, w- what do you do when you're when you're confronted with an animal like that uh, 300 years ago without the knowledge that we've got today? Well, yeah, it would be like if an airplane was flying across the sky back in the 1700s. You know, that would be some kind of thunderbird of the gods, yeah, or a thunderbird. You know, so. uh yeah, I agree with you. I think it's back then they they added to the story, and today now it's it's easier to see that there's a trend that they are docile. They don't attack people because 
like Dragon said, if they was wanting to take you, they would have took you. Yeah. So, and now we got a statement here from uh, Grizzly Adams. Uh, he's talking about how he's heard the Sentinels down in Hanobi. He was uh, dropped off early by a friend, and when the friend returned later, he heard a loud whoop as they were returning. And I think that kind of fits in with the, the Sentinels because, yeah, they knew he was there probably, but when the friend was returning, they were sounding off the alarm that here comes more humans, you know. You know, and they may use different, you know, different groups may use different sounds. I mean, you know, whoops, owl calls, beating on a fence, beating on a tree. I mean, it's whatever it's whatever uh, alarm signal that they have worked out amongst themselves that they that they use. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them here in Oklahoma seem to use a lot of owl calls and even a few uh, what closely resemble coyote calls. And, of course, you know, sometimes you got the barred owls. They go off, and they sound like a bunch of screaming monkeys. So, you know. Yeah. Well, I had a pair uh, one night, actually, on either side of me at about 2 in the morning, and the parabolic had picked it up. Was They were actually, they sound like birds chirping in the middle of the night, almost whistling between each other. Yeah. And it sounded Amazing. like little pine cones were pitching at the tent. <laughs> yeah. But, <coughs> Man, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's kind of uh, a, a neat feeling that you're going, oh, my God. Now I can just get my head out of my tent to look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's, it's almost like they're they're testing to see if somebody is in the tent by yeah. throwing the pine cones at it. They're wanting a reaction, and I wasn't going to give it to them. So. Right. I was hoping they'd come in closer, but they didn't. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, uh, if you do a dragon or if you do a lot of that uh, tent camping, out in the out in the bush like that, mm-hmm. uh, one of the gentlemen, one of the independent researchers on MySpace, said that he takes very small lights. He said they do not like bright lights, but he will take very small lights and set them about thirty, forty feet from his tent in a big circle. And he says about fifteen, twenty minutes after he gets in his tent in his area, they come into the campsite and he can see their shadow on his tent because they will walk in between the tent and his little bitty lights that he will set in a circle around his camp area. That's interesting. I've never thought of that. That's a yeah. good idea. <laughs> uh, about, about nine months ago, we actually had a uh, documentary crew from Kansas University come down, and they went out with us, and we hung a glow stick about 250 feet up into the woods from where we was going to be at, and we hung it about seven feet high, and as we were sitting there, you could see something moving between us and the glow stick. And, and, of course, it would even tap on the glow stick and make it move. But, you know, we're talking six and a half, seven feet high up, and something is blocking the view of this glow stick out in the dark. So, wow. you know, that, that is a good idea to put those little lights around like that. Well, he's obviously experimented with them, and he says they don't like bright lights. So just take a small two or three watt, you know, uh, LED light and set them out. Uh, and he said he has had whole families come through, and he says they glide. He said they'll walk through like they're gliding on skis. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's um. So see, isn't it interesting how we can learn from other people's what they've taken years and years to come up with? And I can't wait to try it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Squatch Inc. is, okay, 
Squatch Inc. is going a little bit fast for me here, but we'll try to keep up with him. <laughs> uh, getting back to the ultrasound or low-frequency emissions that BF can purportedly use, I have read a lot of reports that stated before an encounter the individual would have the hair stand up on the neck and arms. Have you any of you experienced this? Uh, I know I personally have. How about y'all? I don't know. I was I was shaking too bad to notice that stuff. <laughs> well, I can certainly tell you that my heartbeat was going so fast that I couldn't hear anything. Um, having my hair and my arms and neck, no, it happened way too fast even for that reaction. It was more gut instinct. Um, have Have any of you guys ever done the treadmill test for your health? No, where you do that, where you do that treadmill test where they take you to the very max where your heart is beating, 180 beats per minute or whatever. Yeah. That that I know I know if you've read my report that that's one of the main things I said about my heartbeat that and, and it's funny that Dragon R mentions that right now that it's it's amazing how I did not run a, a lick but all of a sudden my heart was beating like I had just ran a mile. Mm-hmm. When adrenaline's <laughs> pumping through your system. That's usually a good indication. It's a, it's a it's a normal drug, right? And your ears start to ring because your body's getting way too much of a a drug in its system, and the adrenaline adrenaline's kicking in. And I think that would is what's going on, right? You you're just, it's you're ready to fly. Get yeah. out of there. <laughs> yeah, here you are out in the middle of the woods at night, in you know almost complete darkness, with a seven or eight foot tall monkey running around you. You know, yeah, you're going to get a little. You're going to get that adrenaline flowing. Well, absolutely. The unpredictability and not knowing is is the whole scare about it, right? And it's yeah. probably just as much for you as it is for them. And um, until it comes forth as that we can get a better look at these guys and understand them, there's always going to be that ultimate fear level going to happen. Yeah. And people have the nerve to ask, if, why didn't I get out of the truck and take a picture? <laughs> Try it, you know. Is he? Well, I think maybe <laughs> maybe what Squat Sink is uh, referring to is: Do you think there's a direct correlation with uh, that bodily reaction of your hair standing up on end on your neck, um, and maybe the uh, the low frequency noise that they may admit? Do you do you do you think uh, do you agree with that or? Well, I think the no, I think the low frequency noise is speculation. I I don't think there's any proof of that. And and I think I pretty much said what I believe, and I I believe that's that's your fear reaction period, with with no ultrasound. I've had the hair stand up on the back of my neck and my arms when I've run into a bear unannounced, um, when I've had my husband come around the corner and startle me. Um, I think that's a natural reaction for your body to do, and I don't really think it's an it's an ultrasound. Yeah, uh, not in my case. I don't believe that. Um, if that was that unique to that animal, wow! How do they know that? And uh, and good on them if they could prove it. But I I think really it's a fear factor. It's your own natural instincts, and that's just my opinion. Wow. <laughs> well, how, how about how about with, how they killed? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I gotta agree with uh, Dragon on that. I think it's just a. Uh, it's just a human reaction to being in certain situations because, I mean, there's been times I've walked through my house even and I feel that way. It's just 
something is not right in the air, but I wouldn't account it to being a Bigfoot hiding in the bathroom or something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. No. I know. I felt that way when somebody ate the last Krispy Kreme. Squatch Inc. also said to clarify that I've read the sensation of sense before the encounter actually takes place. So he's saying that uh, the people have reported that they've had that sensation before they've seen anything, before they've experienced anything at all. What basically they started getting a, a fear feeling, their hair stand up on end, and then maybe it was after that they, they saw something or heard something. So who knows? Yeah, no, I've yeah. I've I've had that when when um just walking in the woods hunting looking for stuff and coming out and realizing that there was actually a bear had crossed my path within <coughs> minutes in front of me and not even seeing it. I think that's just again, I think that's a natural instinct your body is telling you to pay attention. Well, I don't know about you Dragon R, but for me, <laughs> now that I know what what these animals are like up close, Sometimes I will start to get that feeling in anticipation. So, yes. so that would be that would be even before I when yes. I hear one coming up close to me, I'll I'll have that same feeling coming in. Yeah, you're you're getting more in tuned with your body and what's going on around you too, and and it's it's kind of a weird thing to say, but when you live in a city, you get desensitized. I think when you get out into the woods, you start to notice how fresh the air is, um, how much more the the birds sound out there, and and the the noise of your footstep. You become sensitive uh, sensitive to your surroundings, and that's true. I I think that's where this this ultrasound thing coming from. It's actually people getting more aware of what's going around in a different reaction because they can't see it. They can't touch it. They don't think it's, they're not going to notice it. So maybe it's like a sixth sense type of thing. I think Possibly. it's just your body awareness, your natural instincts being woke up. So. <laughs> yeah, like that. We might, that we might've had uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago in our ancestors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, you know, they didn't have all the, the, the distractions in life and, that we do now, and the and dulling of the senses. Yes, yes. Well, all I know is whenever I'm out with Randy and he starts to get spooked, <laughs> I definitely know I need to get spooked. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't get that afraid when I'm out with you because I know I can outrun you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You get a big foot behind me, I might put you to shame. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Well, I think. And, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jose, I mean, what about their ability to uh, to take deer? I mean, deer are pretty. They probably, you know, they call them the phantoms of the forest, or they're the most attuned animal in the woods. Um, we all know that Bigfoot is extremely stealthy, but do you think they could even sneak up on a deer if a deer's in the field? I mean, um, how do you think they're able to do that? Well, clear, do clearly they clearly they do occasionally run a deer down. But a lot of times you will find their little uh, lean-tos built close to a, uh, a trail, a, a game trail. Uh, and we know for a fact that they do hunt in groups and use ambush techniques. So, so there's a lot other arsenals that they, that they use that they have for techniques of catching deer than just single hunters running one down. Yeah, now right. I've actually got a picture on the forum of one that we found where they pulled a tree over the deer trail and hollowed out 
the limbs to where they could sit inside the, the top part of the tree. And as a deer run by, they could just reach out and grab it. Well, so. well how does a grizzly bear do it? I mean, they're not the most graceful animal either and not the fastest, you know. So True. They, True. You know, they, True. they manage to get deer and other animals as well, so they must have their way. Yeah. Well, you know, a deer is just like anything else, you know. It can make mistakes. It might turn the wrong way at the wrong time, and boom, the grizzly's got it. Yeah, yep. those two that ran past me that that day, I mean, I could have reached out and just lassoed the thing. It was only like 12 feet away from me, and it didn't care that I was standing there. It was so scared. Whatever it was was hunting it was a lot Awesome. <laughs> scarier than I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that added to your, uh, your, your being afraid when you saw that happen, too. Well, that was, you know, the afterthought is the deer running right beside, you know, by me and not giving a shit that I'm there should have been the eye opener. But, of course, I wasn't expecting something to, to meet me on the road and, and expounding these, this god-awful language and smashing trees either. Well, you know, he might have ran he might have ran for 45 minutes after those two deer, and he was ticked off that you just ran, ran his hunt. Exactly, because I just come out of his living room, and he... He was probably going to head him off, and and now when I go back there, I can actually see how that would work, where I was on one side and he was running him up another. And, yeah, I would be a little ticked off, too. There goes my supper. Thanks, lady. <laughs> and, you know, there's an indication of something that happened there at Bullet's Place that these things have emotion. Uh, he was down there with a hunter, and uh, this this falls in line with them having sentinels and using the trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, they heard a branch break and tumble to the ground and immediately there was a huge thrashing about in the brush and and something was wailing on this tree with this huge branch and he and this hunter just left and and he said when he came back they went to look at the area and there was about a 40 to 50 foot area that was devastated that this big branch that they could look up in the tree and see where this thing had fell about 30 feet a big branch and they could only surmise that this thing was on a branch watching them in the trees, and the branch broke. And when it hit the ground, it threw a big temper tantrum and just thrashed the area with this branch. That would make <laughs> sense, yeah. <laughs> you don't get to eat often, and when you do, it gets foiled on you. Yeah, I would be a little choked. And, um, yeah, it's interesting how other stories from people, um, you know, get insight on this. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that what that's what makes the forum so great because everybody contributes what they they've experienced and everything, and it helps you build that bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, well, I know I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it gives us a place to to call home and everything. So. Well, definitely for me, it's helped me uh, learn and grow a lot, um, just in some of those things that I've seen and compared to other forums. And when I found a first site with all the evidence in it, I was, besides myself, I thought it was actually a movie set. That's how baffled I was. There's like, there's no way all this stuff can be here. Just like they said on the forums, oh, my God. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Well, I think uh, you've got one picture where you took a picture of two uh, two sticks there by a log where something had been beaten on the log. Yes. And I, I think that right there was just amazing. Yes. I've got another one that's even got bigger, bigger 
it's a it's a maple tree that has big big sticks. They actually look like two by fours, but um, and there's like as many as ten placed vertically up against this tree to keep them dry. And the tree itself, you can see where big whacks of bark and moss have been bruised right off this tree. And some of these sticks have actually big dents in them. And the foliage, the fern and the and the moss all the way around this tree is is very flat and trampled. Like there's been uh, constant activity around this tree. Yeah. And uh, it, it's quite unique. Now, you know, it's just, of course, speculation, but it's funny how all these 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 same diameter branches manage to lean up against this tree so perfectly, and the rest of the forest, they're strewn everywhere. And probably those ones leaning up against the tree, are they stripped of bark? They are stripped of bark. They are very similar in length, and the ends are broken, so they're not, like, cut with a saw or anything, and it's like, a, you know... Um, and and they're not rotten. If you take them and you hit the tree with them, they're sound and solid. They don't. They're not punky. Man, that, that, I would just love to see something like it down here in Oklahoma. <laughs> well, you know, that's just it's just one of those things. You know, um, maybe you have, you just haven't noticed. Yeah, but, that's true. Know, um, the one tree that I I have with the two smaller sticks is actually. If you take a close look at it, it's shredded with um, cougar claw marks. So there's also a cougar that hunts in the same area as, as, as this Bigfoot lives there. And maybe he scavenges mu- um, meat off the Bigfoot after he's done his hunt. Maybe if they just live on livers, which I don't think they do, but it's the most accessible and fast protein food for them. Maybe this big cat comes in and, and steals some of the, the leftovers. I don't know. But I found that there is cougars in the same area as the Bigfoot. It's just an oddity. Well, I, I think they pretty much depend on each other. Like you said, you know, maybe the Bigfoot's only taking the liver and leaving what's left, and the, the cats are coming in to finish it off. Yeah, uh, it's just a, just an idea that I come up with, but I've been noticing that now in, in two of the three areas that are I'm looking at right now. Two of them definitely have cats. <laughs> in them. Well, I'll have to keep that in mind because one thing that we've noticed in our areas down here is uh, a lot of coyote activity. Of course, you know, sometimes it sounds like something is tearing the crap out of them when they start yelping, but uh, it's almost like they're scavenging the scraps left over for them. Yeah, we don't have any coyotes here. We do have the little red wolf, and they're usually more... um, distant we haven't heard or seen them they don't come in very much they're actually not very popular here the island is quite um isolated and and i know for the uh, the elk here have been transplanted here so they haven't always been here um the deer have and the cougar have and the bear we only have black bear and not grizzly so it's kind of neat how um i guess some of the animals adapt to to finding scavenging and i guess this cougar is one of them yeah, and if I remember right, this is where uh, Albert Osman had his uh, famous encounter at. He yes, on the it, island there. It was actually adjacent from us. It was on the mainland land, but it was up one of the inlets there. Was it? Um, um, it's called Malachut Harry. He had uh, a very similar 
experience on the island here as well as being kidnapped. I'll be um, nice. Yeah. I'll have to go back and read that story. <laughs> that, yeah, it, didn't he make it back in his underwear? Uh, in the story? In a canoe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he, the story goes as, as I guess he claimed to have seen as, he thought maybe 20, maybe he was so scared it was only actually three, but um, yeah, he was on a on a, forage, a hunting forage and went 12 miles up this, this river, which okay. is, is, it's a very, um, for an island, it, it's got a lot of remote places on it, that's for sure. Well, you know, I think we're going to have to get Dragon on here as a guest in a in the near future so she can talk about more of her research. Absolutely. So uh, okay. we'll uh we'll get you scheduled and uh I think you and uh Wash Gookum have really opened up a lot of eyes about females being in the field. So it's definitely interesting and and, and it can be intimidating. Um but uh, I love every minute of it just as much as, as you guys do. And uh, hopefully gender doesn't doesn't um, you know make a difference. Well, and, awesome. You, you know, <laughs> us, we're we're equal opportunity. You know, <laughs> but we we value our female members just as much as we do the male members. So, uh, well, hell, I'm jealous of them. <laughs> they they seem to be able to pay more attention to the details than I can. <laughs> So. Yeah, but unfortunately we don't get to pack guns up here, so uh, I do have a big bottle of bear spray that I take with me, but it seems like it gets stuck in my car when I go out. I usually go out with nothing. I, I take nothing and rely on my senses, and I'm hoping that will never get me into trouble, but I should never say never. But, um, yeah, it, it's 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 a unique um, hobby. I call it a, a hobby, and it's a pastime, but it's getting... Uh, to be a more intricate part of my life. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Well, once it gets to you, it starts getting to be an obsession. <laughs> and we could be addicted to worse. Yeah. Well, folks, I hate to say this. We're getting close to our uh, two-hour limit. So we managed to fill in two hours. Uh, our next show will just be an hour long, and hopefully we can... Uh, get everybody back on here for the next show i think we had a pretty good re- uh turnout for it a lot of good questions uh appreciate dragon and wild man and uh eight bait for all jumping in there and helping us talk on the show uh you guys don't know how much y'all helped us out on this <laughs> yeah it was a good show so i'm going to Go ahead and uh, say well, let's sign off, and uh, we'll start getting everybody lined up to to be guests on the show. And I, I think we can really put together a lot of good shows down the road here. All right. Well, we'll see everybody on the forum then. All right. Night, guys. Good night. Thank you. Bye. Night. You're welcome. And that was our show. Uh,
Okay, am I still on?
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 